it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, 
explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Sri and Peter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CPG Guys podcast. I'm PVSB, one of the aforementioned CPG Guys. I'm also the VP of Partner Strategy and Development at Fetch Rewards, a mobile loyalty platform. And as always, I am joined on this educational journey about how brands and retailers engage consumers by my dear friend, my ride or die, and a real empresario in the consumer packaged goods world. Please join me in welcoming the man known as Shri. Shri, what's up, my brother? How are you? And to the man with the golden voice, it is a pleasure to do this week over week with the CPG guy himself. Well, we, we, do, we have to have that with an echo, Shri. I've got to get an echo effect for the podcast. I'm just trying to do the say, New York Yankees announcer. The yes, yeah. CPG guys. Ah, yes. I didn't, pitchers but, and catchers. Pitchers and catchers. Pitchers and catchers. All right. Shri, before we get to our guest, I want to remind our audience that all of our content God, we have over 150 episodes. We're on over 40 podcast platforms. We've got links to podcasts we like to listen to, our Instagram, our Twitter, our LinkedIn page. It's all there. Just visit cpgguys.com. We don't charge anything for it. It's free. Everybody can afford free. And if you're not already following us on LinkedIn, just go to the site and enter CPG Guys. And when you get to our page, We'll click the follow button on the uh, top of the screen. That way you'll get to see all of our content that we're producing. We're not only posting links to our podcast episodes, there's interesting articles we like that we're also authoring, all sorts of stuff. And again, it's all free, so why wouldn't you want to do it, right? Lastly, I'll just say that Shree and I are so proud to be partnered with the Network of Executive Women. News mission is to advance the cause of gender equality and career development in the workplace. In the middle of every Wednesday episode, including today's episode, we'll tell you a little bit more about new and its current activities. So to learn more, please visit newonline.org slash cpgguys. So if you're like Shri and me, we're always trying to strike a balance in our food consumption between indulgence and moderation. I know that ice cream is a big favorite in the Bond household. Fortunately, there are some great alternatives to full-calorie ice cream brands that soften the indulgence aspect. And now the same experience is being brought to chocolate lovers. Ooh, Marketing the brand as a safe addiction is how Gatsby Chocolate is following in the footsteps of Halo ice cream. Here to speak with us about how he helped turn the ice cream category upside down, and he's planning to do the same in the chocolate candy category, is the founder and CEO of Dojo Brands and the CEO of Halo Top International, Mr. Doug Bolton. Doug, welcome to the CPG Guys podcast. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Pumped to be here. Uh, we're excited to have you. I should mention I was introduced to Doug through one of my colleagues at Fetch Rewards, Selma. Selma, thanks again for the intro. This conversation is all because of you, so we greatly appreciate it. Hey, before we get to the questions Shri and I have prepared for you, Doug, uh, would you let our audience know a little bit more about first where they can find your business on the web to learn more and just give us a brief overview of, of Dojo Brands, Halo Top International and, and such? 
Yeah, sure thing. Uh, so Halo Top International, and we can get into this a bit later, but that's the uh, the entity that um, uh, I run with a team of about uh, 20 other people, myself included. Uh, it owns the uh, rights to the Halo Top brand outside of the U.S. and Canada. So we ended up selling the U.S. business, which, again, we can get into in a bit, uh, spun out the international operations, and that's what that entity does. Uh, Dojo Brands, which you mentioned, is just a wholly owned subsidiary of Halo Top International, but that one is for our U.S. operations, which... Given that we sold the U.S. brand, uh, we had to create at least one more new brand. And the first brand we did there was Gatsby Chocolate, uh, which you can find uh, just at GatsbyChocolate.com. And um, it essentially is the Halo Top Hershey Bar. It's probably the best way to understand it. But like I said, uh, we don't have the Halo Top brand in the U.S., so we are rebranded uh, to a new brand called Gatsby. Shree, you hear that? The Hershey Bar Halo Top. Wow. Wow. Chocolate, ice cream. I don't know, Peter, how we're going to get through this interview without us having to go to the fridge and get something now. Uh, you know what? So, I bought I bought 18 bars, and there are four of them left in my fridge right now. I'll admit to it. I I, they, I couldn't help myself, Shree. Let's start getting Doug into the hot seat, shall we? Um, I'm going to ask the first question, Doug. You market Gatsby as a safe addiction food. To a degree, this is how you marketed Halo Top when you – when Halo Top introduced pints of ice cream that contained less than 300 calories. That's not per serving, that's for the entire pint. So can you share with us your thinking in marketing products that have indulgent legacies, but have been formulated to reduce the caloric impact while still retaining that experience? Yeah, I think the the hardest thing in food and beverage, and this is unlike tech, is consumer behavior or changing consumer behavior, I should say. So. Uh, with Halo Top, the original idea was nobody eats one serving of ice cream. Uh, you eat too much of it, you hate yourself after it, and uh, you just feel terrible uh, physically, mentally, everything. So the idea was, can we create a product that actually just fits within the consumer behavior, which essentially is eating more than one serving uh, of ice cream, whether that means you eat half a pint or a whole pint. We just wanted to make something that nutritionally allowed you to behave that way. Uh, and then also uh, taste and texture wise, it didn't feel like punishment. It didn't taste like eating a salad. You know, I forced myself to eat salads from time to time. I've never once enjoyed it, um, but you, you got to do it sometimes. So our idea with that's how it started with ice cream. Uh, as we got out of ice cream, at least in the U.S. and started looking at other categories that might be ripe for disruption uh, or similar, similarly positioned to what ice cream was before Halo Top, uh, the chocolate and confectionery category jumped out to us. And we, we just noticed while there are some low sugar options, there is no low calorie option. So uh, Gatsby chocolate, if you look at it, uh, our calories are half that or less than half that of anything else out there. And that includes those low sugar options. So if you compare us gram for gram to say Lily's, which is one of the bigger low sugar ones, they're still double our calories. So we saw, again, just like ice cream before Halo Top, we thought chocolate was situated that way. And again, who wouldn't want to eat more chocolate if you could? Um, so that was the idea of creating uh, the product there. First of all, Doug, I want to welcome you to the show. So thank you for making time to join us on the CPG, guys. And then I want to congratulate you for all the success. The sale that you described earlier when you introduced what you do and the brands and uh what a great what a great moment in CPG history that you've been able to disrupt not just one category, but you're now entering a second one. And I wish you much luck as you bring about that much needed transformation for the consumer. But you know, Halo Top was one of the first brands, if I remember back, to adopt a revolutionary product locator 
on your website that allowed consumers to not just find stores that carry a laptop, but actually even flavors. Can you share with the audience how this helped you in actually engaging consumers? Was there a payoff? And then did you learn anything from that process? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, we partnered with the uh, Destiny Store Locator, which at the time I think was still very new. I do think it's pretty common now and a lot more brands are using it. But to your point, it linked to the Nielsen or the IRI or the spins data, the actual data of the, the product scanning at the store level and would link it back to your website. So on a flavor by flavor basis, uh, it would auto populate uh, what stores carry you and what flavors they carry. So while we don't have any hard data, anecdotally, we know uh, so many of our consumers appreciated that. Um, we knew our store locator not only said the brand is there, but what flavors are there. Um, and it really helped our customer service experience. The other thing it helped, maybe not quite as obvious, at least on the consumer facing side, is the time it takes to input uh, store info and to remove and add stores as you get hundreds or then thousands of stores. That is an extremely time intensive process. You make all kinds of human errors. So it completely uh, more or less eliminated that. And, and obviously, you know, time is money. So saving that time allowed us to focus on other things. So Doug, you mentioned that in 2013, you negotiated the sale of Halo Top's North American operations to uh, Blue Bunny while you retain the international business, which you're still operating under Halo Top International, can you walk us through how all of that transpired and why you retain the international component uh, versus selling the entire company? Yeah, absolutely. It, it was not the deal we sought. It was the deal we got. And in hindsight, I, I couldn't be happier with kind of what happened because it essentially let me on a personal level take some chips off the table, which I had not done to that point. My business partner had not done to that point. Um, but then also obviously maintain and, and um, ownership and, and a real stake in uh, the brand that we helped to create. And in a lot of ways you think of as your baby. So uh, what happened was that we decided to sell the company. We ran a traditional process where you, you hire an investment banker. Uh, I had to learn what that meant. Um, but essentially, if you have a sales broker that sells you into retailers, an investment banker is essentially a broker that sells you to other companies. The process usually takes about six to nine months. Uh, you spend the first couple of months preparing your materials, your projections, your pitch deck, etc. Uh, the investment banker then reaches out to a number of potential buyers. These could be your private equity funds or what they call strategics or strategic acquirers, usually other food and beverage companies in the industry. Uh, from there, you conduct your initial meetings. Uh, depending on how those meetings go, you hopefully get uh, some interest and uh, some initial bids that then lead into a diligence phase. From the diligence phase, hopefully you get one or more final bids. Uh, at which point you kind of select which bid you like um, and you proceed to signing and then closing. Unbelievably stressful process because until the thing is closed, the money is not in your bank account. So I, I, I do not want to go through that again, at least the, the level of stress that we had attached to it. Um, because in a lot of ways we needed to sell, it was time to sell and, and we, we really wanted to, but long story short, the company that bought us, uh, Wells Enterprises that you said they own Blue Bunny. That's, um, one of the big ice cream brands. It's one of the bigger ice cream manufacturers in the U S, but they had no interest in the international markets. And in fact, um, didn't value, uh, our international business, uh, when it came to the bid. So naturally I, I, you know, kind of raised my hand and I said, well, I, I'm still really passionate about this and this brand. I'm only 36 back then. I would have been, I don't know, 33, 34. Um, so I, I just thought it'd be a great opportunity if they don't want it and won't pay for it. 
you know, I could spin it out um, and, you know, with a select, you know, group of people uh, continue to run the brand internationally. We're in about 30 countries, does about $30 million in sales. I mean, it wasn't nothing. You know what I mean? It, it might not be a billion dollar company yet. Hopefully we can, uh, you know, get there one day. But uh, it was still it, it's a heck of a second chance as I look at it in hindsight, where it's like if you could do it all over again, knowing what you know now with a ton of working capital and a brand that already has legs that already has tens of million in revenue. I mean, who, who wouldn't be ecstatic at that chance? So again, I, not what we sought by any means, we did try to sell the whole thing. It just so happened that the, the bid we selected was for just the U S um, in Canada. And then we essentially licensed back the brand for rest of the world. Hey Doug, I want to say congratulations on the international success too. You referred to international quite a bit there. And um, obviously, you're in many markets now in international. It's not just like United States and Canada. And the brands, you know, the equity of your brands are obviously growing. And it's not just one brand anymore. How do you manage this equity across international markets? Is it fair and square the same everywhere? And generally, how does the international business work for you, considering you're in multiple categories now? It's much more complicated on the consumer front, uh, international is. On the kind of sales front, it's actually less complex. There's usually, in most international countries, a handful of retailers. Um, the UK has four big ones. Germany has two big ones. France, I think, has two or three. Australia has two. Um, Chile has three. These are just some of our bigger markets. But they're, it's not like the US where it's so fragmented and there's, you know, 50 to 100 different retailers, um, you really, it's pretty manageable on that kind of customer front. On the consumer front, it's so much more complex um, because it's different countries, different cultures, often different languages, uh, different taste preferences, different uh, product formats. So the complexity really then becomes kind of on that marketing and consumer facing side, which we really rely on in market resources there. So we do have employees in market, um, agencies in market. But the point is, we know, you know, I, I was born and raised in Virginia. I've lived in the U.S. my whole life. Um, I, I am not the person to tell you what the European palate is or what the Australian palate is or what the, you know, Argentine palate is, et cetera. So um, we, we really rely on our kind of in-market partners to help us determine what flavors to launch, what products to launch and what format to launch them, et cetera. And that that's how we've set it up, whether it's distributors, um, sub-licensees or employees, um, kind of all of the above. We, we, it just depends on the market. Before we continue with this week's episode, a brief message about new. The Network of Executive Women is a growing community of over 14,000 professionals representing nearly 900 organizations across North America. Visit newonline.org slash events to register. Uh, you know what I just realized? That's, there, there's no event. We'll just, just, I'm going to edit out that last where you said visit new online, so don't worry, okay? For more information on how to get involved with new, visit newonline.org slash CPG guys. And don't forget to tune in to Advancing All Women podcast on Voice America, hosted by new president and CEO, Sarah Alter. Listen every Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel with rebroadcast weekly on the Voice America Influencers channels. And of course, download episodes after they air wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, visit newonline.org slash CPG guys to learn more about becoming a member of new. And now back to our episode in progress. I'll remind our audience that today, Shri and I are speaking with Doug Bowden, the founder and CEO of Halo Top International and Dojo Brands. 
please check the digital liner note of this podcast episode. You'll find a link to Doug's LinkedIn profile and all of the corporate sites related to his businesses. All right, Doug, continuing on with uh, the chocolate candy business. It's a pretty large industry dominated by some major players operating out of New Jersey and Pennsylvania. I know, I think we know who we're all talking about. So my question to you is why enter this market segment and what did you see as being the defining characteristics of Gatsby that would differentiate it from the competition and hopefully deliver to you sustainable growth? Also, would love to know the background behind the choice of the name Gatsby for the brand. For sure. So you're right. Uh, Like most categories, there are a couple big players that own the vast majority of the market share. Uh, We actually seek out those categories because usually that means uh, on some level they're asleep at the wheel because there's not that competitive tension, you know, forcing or pushing innovation. Um, So we like categories that only have a couple of players at the top that hasn't seen much innovation in terms of new products or new brands for years, if not decades. And then the other thing we ask, of course, is size of price because it's so hard to build a brand. It takes so much time to build a brand. It can be so expensive to build a brand. You really need it to be worth it at the end of the day in terms of kind of the size of the category. So we've looked at other categories before that just didn't have kind of the the size that we would have wanted. Um, But chocolate, the the data that we could find publicly available essentially uh, was showing that the U.S. chocolate category, chocolate and confections, was twice as big as the global ice cream category. So it was even bigger than ice cream. And obviously it even opens up more things in terms of, you know, chocolate chips as inclusions to stuff. There's kind of like B2B type or, uh, you know, business to business type instead of business to consumer uh, revenue streams that we can explore with this. So it was kind of, it was really exciting as we looked at the scale of it and then uh, noticed again, there is no low calorie chocolate. And I say that quite literally. Um, you will find low sugar chocolates, but you will not find other than Gatsby chocolate, any chocolate that is low calorie. And for us, that was the key. Uh, well, then the question became, can we develop a formula that yields a product that has taste and texture that is actually good? That's actually melt in your mouth that kind of performs and mimics the taste and texture you get from Lent and Ghirardelli and Hershey's, et cetera. And if we could succeed in that, then we would proceed to launch. And we feel really good about our formula. It's actually a patent pending recipe right now. Um, but we, you know, it's low in sugar, it's low in fat, it's most importantly low in calories. Uh, but it also, the taste and the texture uh, is really second to none. So that's when we got really excited when we looked at all of that and, and we said, man, this is a big category. There's really nobody in it that's doing exactly what we're trying to do here. Um, and there could be a nice kind of differentiator for us uh, when it comes to the product. In terms of the name, uh, for us, number one, we couldn't use the Halo Top name, so it was obvious we had to do something else. But um, Gatsby, uh, The Great Gatsby, the book, I just read an article, uh, it was probably towards the end of 2020, um, maybe it was 2019, I can't remember, but it basically said the book was going into what's called the public domain. My background is that of a lawyer, so you have to apologize for the legalese here, but it essentially means the copyright on that book uh, has expired and anybody and everybody can now publish that book and sell it and make money off of it. Now, trademark's different from copyright, but it just, it got me thinking. I was like, man, that could be a great name in chocolate. You can play off the themes of premium and rich and indulgent, um, as well as that kind of mystique of like, how do they do it? Who is this Gatsby guy? All of those themes we thought could be really, really fun when it came to branding and building a brand around it. And then fortunately for us, 
the trademark was available, which we have since registered. Um, and we actually have a rebrand uh, that launches on January 1st. So if you visit the website now, come back in about three weeks um, and, and check it out. We, we couldn't be more excited with kind of the rebrand uh, uh, that's happening. Thank you for that, Doug, and good luck with the rebranding. We will make sure to check it out in three weeks on the website. I'd love to jump into your marketing programming that has helped you be this successful, you know, originally with Halo Top and now as you play out Gatsby Chocolates. So could you tell us a little bit about how you leaned in on the marketing side and how you acquired consumers and what role did digital play and did you have any non-digital kind of offline formats as well with print or with any of the old school formats? Did you jump into TV or did you find pretty much social and digital was everything? It's a great question. For Halo Top, we were complete outsiders. Uh, my partner and I were both lawyers. We had no experience in food or ice cream or anything. So we tried anything and everything back then. And that means we did your in-store flyers. We did your in-store promotions. We did in-store sampling. We did digital marketing. Uh, we did trade shows. We did, you name it, we did it. And what we found pretty quickly uh, was that uh, in-store on-shelf promotions uh, by far moved the most volume. And then at the time, this would have been back in 2013, Instagram for us um, became our avenue for building our brand. And influencer marketing wasn't a term back then. It certainly wasn't an industry, uh, which it is now. Uh, influencer wasn't a job. And we, we kind of grew up with Instagram back in 2013, 2014, in the early days of it as a brand where I, they didn't even have an ad platform. Um, and we were, you know, essentially creating our own micro influencer strategies, finding and reaching out to people with certain numbers of followings, handing them coupons or sending them, um, you know, uh, shipments of free ice cream and really through Instagram and then paid, uh, social on Google and Facebook, uh, was most of our out of store activity, or that's what it shifted to, um, in the first couple of years. And then, um, with Gatsby. Uh, times have changed, uh, as we found out and, and really learned in, in 2021 here. And that is that everybody uh, is doing what we were doing back in 2013, 14 and 15. Not only that, it's an industry uh, because everybody's doing it because there's billions of dollars flooding into it now. It's really not cost efficient anymore. It's really expensive, um, especially lately. I'm sure everybody uh, who's listening, who's involved with digital marketing on any level knows the last couple uh, three months, six months, a lot of the changes that Apple has made um, on privacy um, have have really made it difficult, particularly in the U.S., uh, to implement some of this stuff. So uh, we're actively evolving and shifting our strategies. Um, we're looking into uh, PR. We're, we're still looking into influencers. Um, we're exploring TikTok like I know a lot of brands are. Um, but it, there's no set way to do it. I think the key is to try to make sure you're not doing what everyone else is doing. Um, and that's not to say don't do that, but that would be like your kind of keep the lights on strategy, you know, do that kind of to a, a, a base level and then try to think of, you know, one, two, three other things, some kind of bigger bets, some, some different stuff you can do. It is about, and your question hit on this awareness that that is the biggest and the hardest thing for a brand at the start, because nobody knows who you are and nobody cares. And that's just the reality of it. And, and nobody's going to go into a grocery store and spend 30 minutes in every aisle studying every brand. Uh, so no matter how cool you think your packaging is, no matter how great you think your product is, it's on you to build that awareness, to, to make people go into a store to find it. And uh, it's by far the most challenging thing to do. Um, again, I think you just have to constantly um, 
critically think and, and really try to stay ahead of, of the curve in terms of what other people are doing. So meanwhile, Doug, you've also invested in yet another brand. It's a high-protein milk-based beverage brand called Slate Milk. I love the dark chocolate flavor, personally. Can you help us understand your interest in this category and why you think there's a significant opportunity for growth in milk? Yeah, so I think, I mean, you can probably look a little bit at what Fairlife did uh, before Slate in terms of can you create, in what is kind of a commodity category, uh, a brand that people will pay value for and, and um, is not a loss leader in, in the grocery stores like I know Milk was before a Fairlife and, and before now a Slate. Um, I, I'm trying to think of how I even got in touch with Josh and Manny, the founders. I, I love those guys. Um, they're out in the Northeast in Boston, I believe. Um, but they, they have an infectious energy and passion about them. You, you can just tell they're hustlers and they grind and, and they have the grit. Um, and then the product that I think it's a great category. I love chocolate milk. I, I try not to do me marketing too much on this kind of stuff, but I also think you have to start somewhere. And if, if you're a consumer, it helps because you can at least be in that space of, of what's missing and, and, and what would they like. And I think um, particularly uh, the reformulations that they've done, um, which I think, it's, you know, it's already been probably six plus months since they've done that, um, have really improved the product, um, which I think is to their credit to be able to take that feedback and, and not take it personally and, and improve it and do better. And, and I know uh, they're really excited um, for next year. Uh, they have some great distribution in Publix and elsewhere, some other big accounts. So um, I think they're fired up and, and I'm, uh, I'm really excited just to be, you know, on the ride with them and a, and a very, very, very small part of it. Doug, thank you for the wealth of information you threw our audience's way in terms of how you've actually incubated a brand and actually sold it. Deep congratulations, man. But tell us about what's next for Dojo Brands. Are there any specific categories that you're going after in food and bev? And are there any significant growth entry white space type opportunities you're hunting? The answer is yes. Uh, I can't disclose too much because then somebody else will do it before us, but uh, we do have uh, multiple projects uh, kind of in development in various stages, some in advanced stages. I'd expect uh, multiple new product lines launched next year. I don't think we'll launch a new brand, although we are um, engaged now uh, kind of very quietly because we're not ready to um, unleash it, so to speak. But uh, we are actually now providing services to kind of a very select number of what we call partner brands, uh, whether it's as a sales agency, a creative agency, uh, marketing agency, or otherwise. So that's something that we're actually really looking to um, expand as well as we go forward, just because we do think with our credibility because of Halo Top, which is essentially our currency now with retailers um, and elsewhere, and just kind of our know-how that, that we can uh, essentially save time, save money, and provide a better quality service than, than a lot of the stuff that's out there. So if we can check those three boxes um, and we really care uh, about the people and, and the other brands, we think that could be a really interesting growth channel for us um, on a services uh, side of the business, um, but also really help some of these other brands who have great products and, and great categories like the Slate Milks of the world. Um, you know, try to uh, take some of our strategies and the Halo Top playbook, so to speak. And, and can we help, you know, no guarantees, but but hopefully help give you the best chance at success, however you define that, whether that's an exit, whether that's IPOing, whether that's running your company for 30 years profitably. Um, kind of you, you tell us what the goal is and, and let's see if we can kind of help you achieve that. To our audience, remember that all of our content, 150 plus episodes, 
links to our LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter accounts. All of that is available. Just visit cpgguys.com. It's all free. And of course, we want your feedback. The best way for you to do that is to write us a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash cpgguys. Choose the Apple platform and write us a review. Tell us who you want us to talk to and what we want to talk about. And also leave us a rating. We love that as well. So I want to thank Doug for joining us on today's podcast. Uh, Tremendous success with your brands. Gatsby, I can tell you, it helped me get through the premiere episode of the HBO Max new TV show. And just like that, if you're a fan of Sex and the City, this is uh, the reboot. And as Sri would say, the first episode is a whopper. So uh, thank you for helping me get through that with something that... Uh, kept me sane, but didn't uh, overload me with all sorts of calories. That was absolutely terrific. So thank you for joining, Doug. Thank you for having me. We have a couple of new products that are launching on January 1st. So we will uh, get you a VIP package of that for episode two and beyond uh, as you continue with the season there. That is wonderfully kind of you. Very, very much appreciated. Hey, Shree, what you think? Uh, American success story going international. I told you when we started this episode, chocolates, ice cream, like I knew exactly where this was going to go. The trick question for my afternoon, Doug, is how, many, how I'm going to stay away from getting the calories. But you gave us the answer. Go get the Halo Top ice cream. Go search for Gatsby chocolates. So, Peter, you and I now, whenever we get together, I think you know what kind of indulgence we're going to get into. We're going we're gonna to have our safe addiction indulgences, Shree. So again, thanks for joining me. And to our audience, want to thank you for joining us on this journey. We look forward to speaking with you in the next episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Have a good day. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.